The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and he stayed close to the sea. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came forward. Seeing him, he fell on his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. He went off with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed upon him. There was a woman afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. She had suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors and had spent all she had had. Yet she was not helped, but only grew worse. She had heard about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. And she said, If I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. Immediately, Her flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Jesus, aware at once that the power had gone out from him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who has touched my clothes? But his disciples said to Jesus, You see how the crowd is pressing upon you, and yet you asked? Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. The woman, realizing what had happened to her, approached in fear and trembling. She fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, people from the synagogue official's house arrived and said, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? Disregarding the message that was reported, Jesus said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid. Just have faith. He did not allow anyone to accompany him inside except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they arrived at the house of the synagogue official, he caught sight of a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So he went in and said to them, Why is this commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And they ridiculed him. And then he pulled them all out. And he took along the child's father and mother and those who were with him and entered the room where the child was. He took the child 
by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kong, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. The girl, a child of twelve, arose immediately and walked around. At that, they were utterly astounded. And he gave strict orders that no one should know this and said that she should be giving something to eat. The Gospel of the Lord. You know, throughout our lives, there's a certain security that we require. And we will find that security to some degree in people. An infant finds its security in a parent. The child doesn't know that, wouldn't think it yet, but they know it, really. When we get older, we might seek security somewhere else. Siblings, friends, people we trust, perhaps a spouse, a group to which we belong, the community. But in the end, all those things, however good they may be, and they are, will fail us. Because in the end, there's a certain security that none of them can give us, however much they might love us. And we will be forced, hopefully, to seek our security somewhere else. In fact, we will have to find our security in God alone which is where we should have started in the first place, in seeking our security. You know, last week we had two feast days, one a solemnity, St. Peter and St. Paul. And immediately following that, the martyrs of the Church of Rome, the first martyrs under Nero. They knew where their security lay. They were desperate in one sense, but not in another. St. Peter, we are told, was crucified upside down, St. Paul beheaded, the martyrs of Rome, thrown to wild beasts, beheaded, crucified, put on lampposts and lit to light the city. Their security was not an issue. They knew where it lay. We often do not. We are programmed to find our security either in ourselves or in the world in which we live. Technology, science, become the gods of security. When I thought of those great martyrs, I'd like to go back to that poem that I've always loved so much, I've mentioned it before, Longfellow, that simple poem, Excelsior. The shades of night were falling fast as through an alpine village passed. A youth who bore amid snow and ice a banner with a strange device, Excelsior. It wouldn't seem to describe the characters in today's gospel, would it? 
or does it? Our Lord has crossed the sea, and a synagogue official, an important person who was given the name Jairus, comes to him. He's desperate. It's important. He's desperate. He has nowhere else to go. Whatever else he may have tried has failed. Well, we don't know that. And he comes to him, and notice what he does. He falls at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, saying, My daughter is at the point of death. Please come lay your hands on her, that she may get well and live. He believes that he can do this, but he's desperate. And our Lord goes off with him. And then comes this woman. Remember, both of these people, Jairus, Jairus and the woman, symbolize us and our desperation. In case you didn't know it, we are desperate. The sooner we realize that, the better off we'll all be. In any event, the woman comes. She doesn't have a name. We have no idea what her name was. Both of these people will appear briefly and then they'll be gone. We'll never hear from them again. We have no idea what happened to them, although we know that they are transformed not simply in the healing that they receive, but in their love of the Lord. So the woman comes, and notice how it describes her. I've been afflicted with hemorrhages for 12 years. The hemorrhages would have also made her ritually and legally unclean. And anything she touched would become unclean, and any person too. It wasn't as bad as being a leper, because no one could know that necessarily, but it nevertheless was true. For 12 years, and it describes her as having suffered greatly at the hands of many doctors, spent all that she had, and only grew worse. By the way, St. Luke includes this in his gospel, too, this episode, but... St. Luke, being a physician, doesn't mention the fact about the doctors. Uh, I've often found that interesting, uh, that he left that out. In any event, notice her desperation, too, and her faith. She has said to herself that if I but touch his clothes, I shall be cured. The leader of the synagogue is an important man. He comes to our Lord and kneels down. He's humble. This woman, too, is a wonderful example of humility. No name, she's, been, she's desperate. She comes up from behind him, not in front of him. She won't even look at him. She only wants to touch uh, his clothing. And as soon as she does, she is healed. Uh, and our Lord then, no, but notice, our Lord knows who she is. He always has, as he knows you and he knows me. But this is a journey of faith for her, and she has to learn to trust in him, not simply for a cure, but to trust in his love. So many people go to the Lord because they want uh, a cure, but they don't trust in his love. Remember, last week was the uh, solemnity of St. John the Baptist. If it hadn't been, it would have been the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time, and the gospel would have been the, gospel would have been the uh, storm at sea, when our Lord's asleep on the cushion. And the apostles say to him, Master, does it not matter to you that we are perishing? How many times does God hear that every day? Does it not matter to you that we are perishing? Notice it's all your fault to begin with. Um, And our Lord doesn't respond at all. He simply stands up and says, addresses the storm. Quiet, be still. The storm, the waves are gone, the wind dies down. And what do the, the disciples in the boat say? Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? They've learned that he is something very different. They've learned of his power. They have a long way to go to learn about his love. 
This woman now is going to learn that. As our Lord then says, um, who touched me? Who, touched, who has touched my clothes? The people all around him, so the apostles say, uh, you see the crowd is pressing upon him. Why do you ask who touched you? Um, uh, but he keeps looking around, waiting for her to come. He waits for you and for me to come, too, uh, to his love, not simply to his healing. Of course he cares if we're perishing. In the end, he's the only one who really knows how to care if we are. And so the woman now, realizing what has happened, comes in fear and trembling. And she falls down before him. Again, the essential element of humility. I um, read the other day, I read it briefly, I wasn't even going to use it, so I didn't really memorize it, but it was a reflection of a man who was saying that there are saints in heaven today who never gave alms because they didn't have anything to give. There are saints in heaven today who never fasted because they couldn't. They were, their bodily condition was so miserable they just couldn't fast. There were those also who couldn't do many things that we would think necessary for holiness, but... There is no one in heaven, who, and no saint, who wasn't humble. And these two are humble. Now she is. And our Lord then looks upon her and says, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be cured of your affliction. And so she disappears. She goes. A, a, a changed woman, not just healed, but changed. She now understands this man loves her. He isn't just some great physician. He's someone who, out of love, cured her. He then goes on to the house of Jairus, where the, where the daughter has died. Wherever again, people are no longer desperate because it's too late. Too late. And our Lord just says, do not be afraid, just have faith. And he confronts those who are there, who are weeping. The official mourners, by the way. Uh, the child's not dead, but asleep. And they laugh at him. Again, they don't trust him. A, they don't know his love. When we come to a cure, we must always, I think, go before a crucifix to remind ourselves of how much we have been loved in order to be cured or healed. That's why I was able to keep a crucifix inside a confessional to remind us this isn't just a matter of forgiveness, it's a matter of love. And so he enters the room and simply gives a command. Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And she does. The gospel ends beautifully. And, and you can see how this is really good history, how simple it is. He gave strict orders that no one should know about this, yet, and said that she should be given something to eat. Something to eat. Very practical. The parents might not have thought of that. They were too happy over the cure, not realizing that she was cured, now it's time for her to eat something. But our Lord is very practical. In any event, you and I come here for the same reason. We come here as desperate people. Uh, we are moving up the mountain, Excelsior, yes we are, but we aren't going alone and we are always on the point of desperation. And we come to him, to the Lord, uh, in the Eucharist. You know, I was privileged to celebrate Mass for the Opus Dei people yesterday. For the, and I was reading St. Josemaria Escrivá on the Eucharist. Uh, because all saints, as I've said, are always going to have a great devotion to the Eucharist. He said something that I thought was really uh, quite beautiful. He said, you have to make your lives essentially totally Eucharistic. That's where our security is. That's where our healing is. That's why we need fear nothing. We can be like the apostles and the martyr, simply because of him. 
because of that. He had more things to say about the Eucharist, too, that are, are worth reading but, and, worth, and worth considering. Uh, it says, you must go before the tabernacle to get to know him and digest his teaching. Spend time with him. It's a wonderful way to, to, to learn where our security lies and to overcome all of the petty fears and insecurities that seem to plague people today. And if we're able to do that, then perhaps we'll be able to, how shall I put it, enhance our self-esteem without, without having to do it at someone else's expense. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you rejoicing in the love of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the Church throughout the world, it remembers will always be visible signs of God's healing power, especially the Church persecuted, we pray to the Lord. For all nations of the world, especially our own, they will find security only in the Lord and in his church. We pray to the Lord. For all those who are sick and suffering and dying, that they may know the concern of God for them and the love of God for them, that they serve him in their suffering. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have left his healing, we pray to the Lord. For greater respect for human life, we pray to the Lord. For an increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, and those young men and women who will be visible signs of God's healing in our world today, and visible conduits of his power, for a greater reverence uh, for the prophetic and healing power of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and having accepted the grace of God in their own lives, they may then bring that healing to others. We pray to the Lord. For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster, the eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed And for all of us here, that our lives will be radically transformed by the Eucharist. We may accept the healing power of God in our own world. We pray to the Lord. Lord, We now join our prayers to those of the health of the sick as we sing. 